In this podcast, we discuss a few things that emergency service personnel see on a regular basis. Some listeners may find the topics distressing. Listener discretion is advised. To motorcycle riders, and a lot of it, a lot of the time, it isn't necessarily Sarah. Jesus, I'll try that again. So this is my mate Jim. Jim, thanks very much for uh, for joining me on my uh, my official first episode podcast. Thanks, man. It's very awesome to be your first guest. <laughs> is there anything that you wanted to talk about? I guess not. I don't know. Not really, man. Like I, I just love I love talking shit with good people. Like it's just it's good fun to sit down and um, you know have a bit of a yarn. Like we've been um, you know I've been I've been trying to do my own podcast related to other stuff for ages, and I, I made a joke before saying that um, you know the first podcast I've ever done has actually not been mine. So it's. <laughs> No, man, I, I, I think it's uh, I think it's pretty awesome that um, that you're doing this and it's good to I'm not saying that I'm interesting, God no, but I think I, I would really look forward to in the future that um, or future listening to other people and their, their stories, man. Like it's um, you you yourself have an incredible one. Um, I, I think some of the some of the stuff and the, the experience that you've done, mate, would be you could you could nearly write a book on it. So I'm glad that you're doing a podcast at least where some of that can sort of uh, bubble to the surface a little bit. Hey, yeah, it's it's it's. Um, I mean, you know me well enough to know that I, I hate public speaking and I, I hate I hate drawing attention to myself. But I think mm. during um, during isolation, I, I spent a lot of time on on Zoom and Skype and um, and just on the phone, just with a lot of people. Not, I mean, look definitely checking up on them for sure but it's more mm. so just you know reaching out and you know make, making that effort to you know talk to people and all that sort of stuff and in in doing that i sort of realized um how not only how extremely lucky i am to have you know ex- an, an extremely uh, loyal and and um close group of friends but like all you blokes and, and girls um are just are, are funny and there's there's so much so many in jokes and stuff like that which I, I don't know how well it's going to translate on, on, on a podcast, to be honest, but like, and there's so many different facets to, to different friends, like how I've picked them up or, you know, where I've picked them up in my life. So yeah, that's, mm. that's what I sort of figured a, a podcast would be, would be, uh, you know, pretty good. Not, not so much to, um, to highlight myself, but just to highlight the, uh, the amazing people in my life. So so tell the listeners who who Jim is today. Cool. So Jim today is uh, I live in Queenbin, which is uh, for people who don't know where that is, it's right next door to Canberra, but on the cool New South Wales side. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've been a I've been a locomotive driver for the best part of twelve years, and I've been a retained firefighter for uh, just over ten years, which is how I I met you, mate, through the fire brigade. Very cool. All right, so uh, going back into trains, um, how did you how did you get into trains? I had, um, as as you're well and truly aware of, I had like aspirations of becoming a fighter pilot. Specifically, I was that much of a nerd uh, that I wanted to fly specifically for three squadron out of RAF Base Williamtown, flying FA eighteen Hornets. But as I sort of progressed a little bit further on in my schooling, I realised that I didn't have the commitment nor the mathematical ability to to do such a task. So I sort of just focused more on playing guitar and uh, rugby union as you sort of do at that 17 or 18 year point in your life. Uh, and I sort of was just going for lots of little random different jobs around the place. And uh, sort of to preface this as well, I'd always been like a massive train nerd and loved trains when I was a, a kid. And yeah, so I applied for a job at Lithgow as a trainee driver um, with uh, a company that I'm now going back to work for after nearly nine years away. I wasn't successful in that job, but the depot manager rang me later on and said, there's jobs going in Newcastle. I think you should put in for them. Um, And I did. And back in the days when we got letters to tell us of when certain events were on instead of emails, I got a letter about six months later saying be in Newcastle next week for an interview. And yeah, 12 years later, that's how I got into driving trains. Excellent. So you say you've been away for nine years. Where have you actually been? So I spent the first first three years of my career with that with that company. And then I went to another formerly uh, Queensland government-owned rail freight operator, uh, also in the Hunter Valley. Uh, so I spent three years there. And then in 2014, I started working for uh, a mining company in Western Australia driving iron ore trains. Uh, and I, up until two days ago, was working there. 
Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's not going to be a short commute from uh, from Queanbeyan over to the literally the other side of Australia. How did <laughs> um, how did that work? That was um, that was pretty long winded. It's not as long winded as some of the other guys, which I'll I'll touch on in a minute. But um, it basically required three flights and uh, roughly I think it was about five thousand seven hundred k's worth of travel um, twice every two weeks, basically. So I worked the two on. Two week on, two week off roster, um, and yeah, we travelled on our uh, travelled on our day, first and last days off. Good lord! Yeah, it wasn't it wasn't an easy commute, dude. Trust me, it, it was not as easy as just uh, flicking down the road. That's for sure. Tell the listeners about your a little bit about your home life. Cool. So my my home life is pretty bloody fantastic. I have to admit. So not long after I got this uh, fine fly out job, um, I actually met my wife. I think I actually yeah, I met my wife or who was then my um, new girlfriend on the same day that I found out I was doing fly and fly out work. So we've been together for six years. We got married in May last year, incidentally on international firefighters day, which um, <laughs> is supposedly incidental, but I think it's quite on purpose. Um, and yeah, we, we've got a, we've got a lovely cat that like gets more love than any kid probably ever will in our relationship. And um, yeah, that's my home life, man. I'm very lucky to be an uncle to, um, Zoe, George, um, Jaden and Max. And yeah, that's, that's my home life, man. Very cool. How's, um, how did the fly in fly out deal? Um, did, did it affect your home life at all? Or was it, was it super, super stable because it was fly in fly out or? Surprisingly, like, I think to, I think to sort of contextualize it a little bit for people, um, the, the railways, particularly freight rosters or for, you know, freight train driving is very ad hoc and it's, you might have a certain, um, start time or a finish time on your, on your roster, but that's generally only used as a guide. Um, so when you, when you're working like most normal freight train drivers that you'll see will be away for a great period of time and they'll be starting at weird different hours and stuff like that. So one of the benefits about uh, fly and fly out work is that it's it's pretty well set in stone. You can predict what you're going to be working literally years in advance. So it's, it's easy to plan around things in, in that sense than it would be as a normal train driver. Yeah, I suppose the other side of it is that um, you do miss out on a lot. And there's very little flexibility in that in that roster. Um, obviously, it doesn't change and you, you can't just, uh, you know, swap a shift here and there to... To make things work, you'll have to fly, as I said, you know, about fifty-seven hundred kilometres back to the other side of the country if you if you want to see an event. So that that generally doesn't happen. But um, as far as like affecting our home life, I don't think it really. I mean, obviously, being away from home is not great, but um, at the same time, um, it was all we knew. So it's not like we had something and then went to something else after a, a, a long period of time. It's as I said we met the day that I found out I was going to be doing that job. So it's sort of just been normality for us, to be honest. Yeah. Have you been, um, have you been pretty lucky in that you haven't missed out on too much stuff at home or do you, do you find you sort of, it's 50, 50 missing out? It's probably 50, 50, mate, to be honest. Like there's, there's a lot of things that you do get to experience and see that you probably wouldn't normally with a nine to five job or even like a, a normal. And I say that in inverted commas shift work job, um, but yeah, you know, like I, I've been, I've, I've missed out on some pretty big stuff too, you know, some, um, some pretty sad events, like my, my partner's mum dying and some other sort of things where I, I had to rush back home from the other side of the country. So it's, it's probably 50, 50 mate, to be honest. Yeah. Sure. Um, all right. So how do we know each other? Well, you and I, you and I know each other through a little thing called the Far East Client Promoted Neurone Disease. And I think the first time I ran into you was... The first year you did it, which would have been 20, see if I can remember this, it wouldn't have been 15, probably 16 or 17, was it? Pretty sure it was 16, yeah. Yeah, so that's how we know each other, man. So we were the um, uh, climb chairman. I can't remember your exactly your exact title, but yeah, that's how we came into uh, came into knowing each other, mate. Now our friendship sort of blossomed from then when the mutual nerdship of all sorts of different <laughs> shit just blossomed like you wouldn't believe, so... But it's 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 kind of funny because uh, as as you and I got to know each other further, that 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 old saying of uh, you know it's it's a small world, uh, it, it it actually turned out that we grew up actually not far from each other. Yeah, this sort of it spun me out quite a lot how much we had in common. So although we had you you know a number of years in between us, like I can't believe ten we years? went to the same highest. Yeah, I think it was ten years. Like so, it's a relatively significant gap, but like. Going to the same high school, being tutored by your auntie uh, for maths. 
um, you know, having all these mutual friends and discussing teachers at our high schools and just all this weird, weird shit that was just like too, like nearly too good to be true. It was, it was, it really spaced me out, I have to admit, but we'd never like come into contact with each other before that. It was, it's weird. One of those weird, you know, blue mountains things, I suppose, isn't it? (laughs) Well, that's right. I mean, so I, I graduated in 2000. What year did you graduate? Uh, 2007. So I was like in year four when you graduated. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Fair enough, but I mean, it's 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 funny because the uh, uh, the the high school that we both attended, um, it it didn't seem like the the stories that we were talking about. It didn't really seem to change in seven years. No, I found that quite funny too. Like, and I, I that's why I mentioned the teachers. Like, all the same teachers that were there when you were there were more or less when I was there, and they were doing the same shit <laughs> seven years, <laughs> seven or eight years later as what they would do. It was awesome. And, and still acting the same way and people used to oh, hide yeah. out in the same places to have sneaky smokes and... Oh, yeah, all that sort of teenage bullshit that you do, you know, going behind the drama rooms to pass on and all that sort of <laughs> crap, you know. Sure, anyone that knows you and I will probably get an image of their head about where that is, but we'll leave it at that. <laughs> <laughs> um, how was... What, what was high school life for you or like for you? I, you know, looking back on it now, I was, I was extremely lucky to have the high school life that I had. Um, I was sort of, I was never really, not that popularity means fuck all to me now, but uh, I was never really super popular nor unpopular. I was just one of those, one of those kids that had quite a a decent friendship group. And uh, I was, you know, as you, as I mentioned before, like I was really into, um, really into rugby and I, I was lucky enough to captain my high school footy team when I was in the senior year groups. Um, yeah, I just had a really good time, man. It was, um, you know, considering some of the some of the experiences that kids have in high school with bullying and stuff like that, I I consider myself very lucky and very, very gifted that I had like the teachers that were committed to you know educating my you know really lazy ass into some sort of you know decent <laughs> human being. Um, and yeah, like all, all my mates as well, you know, we all had very different experiences as my you know my close group of mates growing up, and we were all from different parts of the Blue Mountains and stuff like that, but. We, um, yeah, I, I feel stupidly lucky to have the, the high school life growing up, man. Yeah. Were you a, uh, were you a guitar player in high school? Yeah, not initially, no. So I was always the footy head from day dot right till the day I finished. I was always definitely the footy head that listened to Jimmy Barnes, but I only really started playing music probably when I was, let me see if I can figure this out, year nine. So probably about 14 or 15. So a couple, couple of years after I started. Sure. Um, and yeah, that I, honestly, that was one of the best things that ever, ever happened to me was my mom going to the guitar shop in the middle of Katoomba, in the middle of Katoomba Street, sorry, and buying me my first crappy $90 guitar. But <laughs> that was, uh, uh, yeah, I'm glad she did. It's been one of the best things to ever happen to me, mate, becoming a, I say it again in inverted commas, musician. Even though I'm just a dude that strums a couple of <laughs> strums a couple of chords, but, but yeah, it was awesome, mate. Was it was it literally the purchase of the guitar that got you into guitar playing, or did you have an interest beforehand? Or I think I was just one of those kids that like always had the wantedness to, because like I, as I mentioned before, like my musical influence was very much from my old man's side. So it was it was stuff like Cold Chisel, ACDC, um, In Excess. Uh, all the lot, a lot of Australian pub rock, a uh, lot of lot of sort of mid eighties, late nineties, um, British rock as well. Um, and I guess by virtue of that, you know, I um, I always had like a really big interest in music, but I never really got around to it. You know, like a lot of kids start playing instruments younger, but I sort of started quite a quite a fair bit later, and then I moved into playing bass and a little bit of drums as well. Um, so yeah, I sort of I I won't say blossomed because I never did, but like I, I came into it quite. <laughs> Um, I came into it quite a fair bit later than most most people normally would. So yeah, I feel uh, I, I feel slightly personally attacked by the uh, by the whole kids starting off early. Uh, for 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 the people that don't know, I am actually I, I appear as Asian, and uh, I, I did the uh, I did the very stereotypical piano playing from uh, God four. Holy shit! I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah. Wow. So and and I carried through, and look, I I only. I, I don't have many reg- regrets in life. Uh, one of them is giving up piano playing, definitely. Um, yeah, yeah, I can imagine why. So I, I did it for, I probably did it for about five years from kindergarten. Um, yep. And I just, I, I couldn't get the hang of uh, sheet music. That, that that was the biggest thing that was holding me back. Holy shit, really? Wow, yeah. I never knew that, man. Wow, I, 
see you go. This is <laughs> how does this podcast? We're we're learning stuff, man. But like, so so did I don't know. This is probably a stupid question, but like, did you consciously just make a decision one day and go fuck it? I'm I'm done with it. I'm going to go do something else, or was it just a gradual sort of decline away from from playing piano? Look, it was definitely uh, my uh, my instructor, my teacher. Um, she was she was she was very very good. Um, but she could tell probably for the last, um, the, I'd say the last 18 months of my, uh, my tuition that I'd, I'd lost interest. Um, and once, yeah. w- once I'd started losing interest, I started, I stopped putting in effort. And once I stopped putting in effort, like, like back then it, it was, it was, it was worth a lot of dollars. Um, and it, it was also worth a, a lot of time. Like I was going a couple of times a week and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, and unfortunately, um, as soon as you stop doing it uh, every single day, you you lose the talent or you, you lose the skill very very quickly. I'm, I'm sure if you sat me in front of a piano, I could I could, you know, bang on some keys and name some notes and stuff. But apart from that, I'm I'm useless. Yeah, I sort of, I noticed the same. Like I, I still play, I, I don't play bass really at all anymore. But I still I still do play uh, guitar every so often. It's amazing. Like. Yeah, you can you can strum a couple of chords here and there, but the the actual you know your your rhythm and the way that you know your your intonation and stuff like that used to go when I was younger, like it's just gone now, man. Like not even close to being at the same level that it was, which wasn't high to begin with, so it's just even worse now. But <laughs> have you thought about uh, uh, setting up some sort of like little home studio where you can like set up a booth and some decent mics and you know jam out s- or something like that yeah i sort of have but like my my problem is is that as i said like i can play i can play guitar and bass relatively competently and i can do a little tiny bit of drum so i'd probably be able to you know stuff around with it and get something done but like i have a really good ear for picking a song and being able to to play it my, oh, and yes. that was my my big problem as well is that i couldn't i couldn't read sheet music probably because i'm useless at maths and it's so intrinsically linked with mathematical yep um you know not equations but yeah you know what i'm saying like maths basically um so yeah i have thought about it but like i just don't have the space man i've got so much other shit in my house like it would just i know what i'd do like i'd just buy it and i'd set it up and then i'd have like ten thousand bucks worth of gear sitting there doing jack shit (laughs) for 12 months of the year except for the one day a year that i decide to use it so it has crossed my mind but the the logical side of me gets to it and goes you know what that's probably not a smart life decision dude <laughs> you're talking to the king of uh, expensive hobbies here i've been through <laughs> race cars and motorbikes and push bikes and scuba diving and god knows what else so oh yeah i hear you man i hear you um <laughs> so uh aviation nerd um mm. where did that all start from you know what? I'm I'm going to say something that will not surprise you nor many other people, and um, it's one. Well, it should be one word. The movie's actually two, uh, but Top Gun. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. That mate. That that movie. I I don't know, but I think it did something to me in some weird parts of my brain because, like, I will still. It's the one movie that I will sit there and watch from start to finish, twenty five times a year, and I still won't get sick of it. And that's um. That's what got me into aviation, man. How well can you recite it word for word? Pretty damn well, I must admit. It's quite scary. <laughs> like I used to be a really bad Simpsons nerd with that sort of shit, but Top Gun's just like another level with me. Fair enough. So in, in the US, I, I, I'm sure you're aware of this, but uh, in, in the US when the movie actually premiered or at, at the mm. screenings, the Navy actually had uh, sign-up booths in the cinemas. Yeah, I, I couldn't. I, I read that not long ago and I was like, it's just like... It's hard to fathom, I guess, being from a country that doesn't have anywhere near the same size um, military or military presence, certainly. Um, yeah, like we've got a Navy and an Army and Air Force, but they're there when we go to war. They're not there in the, the psyche of the, you know, the normal people of Australia, uh, as opposed to what I think it's like in the States, where it's just, it's so, so different, you know, like you just go and do your service and get out and do your thing over there. Like, it's just so unusual for that to for that to happen. But um, yeah, like I, I couldn't, I couldn't believe the amount of like, I saw this percentage of it, like the increase in applications that the Navy had for pilots and aircrew after Top Gun come out in 1986 was just like next level. And I have no doubt that the Royal Australian Air Force was probably the same as well, <laughs> <laughs> which incidentally was just about very, very soon after we started flying FA-18s. So I think, I think we started flying them in 1984 or five-ish. So. Yeah, right. Okay. So yeah. my um my my love for aviation and and 
maybe not military, probably just aviation at that time. Uh, probably started at Top Gun as well. I had yep. a uh, I had a mate in primary school. His name was Simon, um, and he he would literally come over like every second weekend, and we would watch it. And then afterwards, we would uh, you know we would read magazines because back back then uh, there wasn't such thing as an inter- as the internet, or if if yeah. there was, we didn't have it. So. We we yep, had ma- here, <laughs> we had magazines and books and encyclopedias and all that sort of stuff. We'd sort of sit around and draw planes and we would uh, would draw up um, like tail designs and stuff like that. Um, and then when uh, <laughs> when his when his mum came and picked him up from my place, he would he would obviously be sitting in the passenger seat. Um, he would have. Do you remember those? Uh, do you remember those steering locks? Those extendable steering locks. Oh yes, I certainly do. Yeah, so he had one of those. He would uh, he he would be holding it like a joystick, and uh, I would uh, I would give him the wave off as his mum drove off. Oh, that's the best fucking thing I've <laughs> ever heard, man. Why did I not think of doing this? Honestly. Oh, oh man. Yes. And then I remember. Um, I can't remember what year it is, and you're probably going to be able to tell me um, huh. better. But I remember going to Richmond RAF base. Oh yes, um, and it, it would have had to have been one of the last air shows that they had there, because um, mm. I remember them um, stopping them not long afterwards. But I, I have very fond memories of the um, of being at the RAF base. I remember seeing a seeing a big line of one um, thirties taxiing down the runway, and and the pilots um, sitting on the si- sitting on the top of the cockpits, like uh, sitting on the on the hatches on on top of the cockpits. Ah, uh, yes, that's right. Okay, so this is ultra aviation nerd. There was, in my lifetime, I remember two air shows at RAF Richmond. The first one, which was incidentally my first air show as well, was in 1996, which was for the 75th anniversary of the RAAF. Okay. Um, and then the next one after that we would have been in the, a quick Google later on will probably tell us this, but I'm pretty sure it was in 2005 or 2006. Um, I don't remember heaps of it, except that there was a... U.S. exchange pilot flying Hornets for 77 Squadron, who I was there talking to going, this bloke is just like exactly like friggin' Tom Cruise, <laughs> um, which was which was ridiculous. I was just like, he's, he's just everything. Um, and it was also the last time I saw an F-111 fly because not long after that, they were retired. Um, so I remember seeing it, you know, doing its um, iconic dump and burn and just flying around like a friggin' beast of an aircraft that it is. Absolutely. It would be... Yeah. Did, did you say you went to... Went to the air show in '96. Yes, I did. I, I, funnily enough, when I was, and so that would have been when I was seven years old. I remember more of that than what I do in the later one. <laughs> I wonder whether or not, man, it'd be such a spin out if we. Uh, I'll, I'll have to ask my dad because my dad actually took me, but I'll have yeah. to, I'll have to find out what year he took me to it because it'd be a spin out if we went to the same air show. Well, I think considering the age gap, that would have been probably spot on. I reckon. Yeah, that that would have been pretty. I mean. Is it really though? When you think about it, like two, you know, it's the only rap base for bloody miles and miles. And whenever it's an air show, there's like thousands and thousands and thousands of people there. And like, it's probably the biggest thing to, um, sorry, to contextualize this a little bit. Richmond is quite close to the Blue Mountains where Kevin and I um, grew up. So you know, when anything happens within like a hundred kilometers, most of the Blue Mountains just flock to go and do it because <laughs> nothing right. else happened. Um, so I wouldn't be entirely surprised at all, actually, if that was the case, mate. If I'm honest. Right, I'll have to find out. Yeah, man, definitely. I'll have so, to check those dates too. I want to know how much of a nerd I actually am. So, <laughs> um, all right. So uh, let's uh, let's touch on. Well, okay, b- b- before we get onto the uh, to the elephant in the room, um, motorbikes. Oh this yes, is, uh, this is this is a this is a a, a, um, a a quite a quite a new thing for you. Um, it is. How are you Thanks enjoying? Thanks to you, it? I must say. <laughs> That's good, man. I, I love it. It's, um, yeah, it, it's, it's, I'm going to say because it sort of coincides with my impending baldness as well, like an early midlife crisis. Um, <laughs> hopefully that doesn't mean I die when I'm 60, but you know what I mean? It's just getting all that shit out of the way with it a little bit early. Um, but yeah, I, I love it, man. I went and bought the, um, it's the, it's the first new, like my motorbike, I've got to try and street triple. It's the first new vehicle I ever bought. Um, and I, I, I love it, man. Like, it's just, it gives you a, a weird sense of freedom that you probably don't get with much else. Maybe like flying an airplane by yourself or, you know, deep diving um, underwater by yourself. I can't think of too many other things that would give you like that sense of freedom with just you and, uh, you know, maybe six or 700 other people that want to kill you because they can't drive for <laughs> shit. But 
that's right. What is uh, what, what what does your wife think of you riding motorbikes? Uh pretty supportive. I think I'm not not a supporter as such, but supportive of the concept. Like she's never ever turned around and said, "No fucking way, you're doing that." But uh, I wouldn't say that I'm going to get her as a pillion passenger anytime soon. Put it that way. <laughs> Fair enough. What about yeah. all your all your mates in the emergency services? Because it's it's actually quite funny. Because I mean, the amount of the amount of MBAs I'm sure you you and I have both gone to regarding mm. motorbikes, um, and it's it's not just us. Like the the, the amount of emergency service people that ride that really do enjoy enjoy riding motorbikes is is quite a lot. Yeah, I've always found that quite unique. Like a lot of a lot of um, a lot of fireys do. Well, as you said, probably not even really just fireys. A lot of people that are in the in the emergency services love riding bikes, which. Is really odd considering, like you said, the amount of um, fatal pranks that that we've been, or even just pranks where there's there's really serious injuries um, to to motorcycle riders, and a lot of it, a lot of the time, it isn't necessarily their own fault. It's because of other people's stupidity on the road. Um, you would think that you would be warned away from it, but for whatever reason, it doesn't always seem to be the case. There's going to be a couple here and there that'll say, "What the hell are you doing that for?" But generally speaking, not really. Yeah, which is a which is an extremely good segue. Uh, so you're a firefighter. I am. Yes. So before you were with our current employer, um, were mm-hmm. you were you were a volunteer as well? I was. So uh, I won't mention the service or the brigade name, but I was. Uh, I joined as a cadet member um, of a rural fire brigade in the Blue Mountains, um, and I yeah went to quite a. So I was sorry, I was doing that for three years. So um, I joined as a cadet member when I was fifteen. Then when I turned sixteen, I was able to turn out on the on the truck, which I think, looking back in that now, is stupidly too young. Um, I can't believe that I can't believe that people are allowed to do that. But anyway, um, yeah, and uh, so I did that for about three years. And then when I moved to Newcastle, I sort of I was still a semi-active member, but I just couldn't I couldn't do it. You know, like it was just too far away. Um, and then I happened to um, move into a house in Newcastle, which was right across the road from the local retained fire station. So ah. you can guess what I ended up doing there. So, yeah. So, so there was no other motivation other than you had been a volunteer before and you'd moved across the road from uh, from a fire station, essentially. Well, no, there, there was a heap of motivation, I have to admit. Um, so <laughs> I much like again much like being a, a pilot um i think i think being in the fire brigade is one of those career options that so actually funny little segue to that to that too is um so when i was when i was applying for jobs as a train driver i'd actually gone through the process of becoming a firefighter with the air force so you would think you know oh that's that's a perfect combination of all the things that i'd, I'd really want to do um but I had, so I passed all the tests and done all, all that. And I was just on a waiting list. So I was just waiting for that, for that phone call to come in from the, uh, from, from defense force recruiting. Um, and about two weeks after I ended up starting, um, my job on the, on the railway, which was 12 months after I'd heard anything from the air force, they actually gave me a call and said, do you want to, do you want to start in a couple of weeks oh. down at, um, down at Wagga to do your basic training? And really? uh, I, I turned never it, knew that. Yeah. Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I got into got into the rap as a as a fiery, and I turned it down. Interestingly, because um, I thought, well, you know, I've sort of got the best of both worlds here at the moment. You know, I'm probably going to end up joining this local fire station, and um, yeah, I get to drive trains as well. And it's it's. I was only talking about this with someone yesterday. Funnily enough, um, do I regret it? Not really, because it it's sort of it would have been interesting to see how things would have turned out had I had I taken that job, but it's probably wouldn't have got me to where I am now. And I'm pretty bloody happy with that. So yeah, little interesting segue to, to that story, but like being a fire is something I've always wanted to do. And it's still something I'm trying to achieve as a, as a career as well. So yeah, right. Um, yeah. I was, uh, uh, I was a volunteer as well. Um, and, uh, my, my family has a, has a very, very long line of being in, uh, in, in the, in the, uh, rural, volunteer firefighting without naming organizations um <laughs> and, and most of them still are I, I i think um i think my dad just got his 40 god 45 47 years service something something ridiculous oh, like that dear god that is unreal yeah i know i know anyway so um look so, some of my earliest memories as, as a kid um was was like climbing all over fire trucks um and and at that at, at that stage um, there were there were Studi Bakers. Um, oh the big, yes, the big six wheel like ex military ones. Yep. Um, there were Bedfords like the stubby nose ones. 
Yeah. Um, I remember. I, I remember how dirty they were, um, and, and not not because they were they, they were not maintained, but just because back then, like everything was just covered with grease and and oil and and you know, soot and everything. They were agricultural machines, you could say, mate. They were. They really were. Yeah, they really were, man. Um, I, I find I found it absolutely wondrous. Uh, when uh, when, when I was able to, or when someone did drive me around in them, um, it was it was one of the vehicles the windscreen flipped down on. Oh, holy crap! That's awesome, really. It, yeah, it, it might have been one of the studio bakers or something like that. But yeah, no, no climate control. But they uh, they they Ford hinged onto the bonnet. Oh, they're so good. Yeah, there's your climate control right there, man. I don't <laughs> know what right. you're complaining about. That's yeah. it. That, that, that's exactly what you want to be uh, doing in the middle <laughs> of a wildfire. <laughs> oh, Christ. Yeah, no thanks. <laughs> so uh, what does uh, what does being a firefighter currently mean to you in, 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 the, in the broader sense? Well, I guess like – so to contextualize it a little bit more. So I joined, I joined the um, – I joined New South Wales's Urban Fire and Rescue Service uh, as a retained firefighter in 2010, and that's a, a gig that I'm still doing now um, at a different station. Um, what does it mean to me? I don't know. That's a weird question. Like, I, I, I would like to think that I've got altruistic reasons behind being a firing, um, and I, I think I do at heart. Like, I do get a really big kick out of helping people and, um, you know, putting putting back into the community that I, I take a lot out of, and I know that's a really cliched sort of, Thing to say but i guess it's a cliche for a reason um but yeah I, I just enjoy it like i enjoy training uh quite hard and and you know trying to be at the top of your game uh and then in like literally the worst possible circumstances for most people being able to exercise those skills that you've learned and acquired over a period of time um to to go and help somebody who's having a really crappy day and that i think to me sort of I hope exemplifies somewhat why I joined the fire brigade. And I think it's like, it's one of those things where you have to be really careful of, of not coming across as too excited or too, um, you know, boisterous and, um, you know, flowing with, with adrenaline and stuff like that when you're interacting with the, it, with the public at a, at a house fire or a car accident, because like the adrenaline is really going to, um, you know, that's your, your fight or flight mechanism kicking in there. But you know, you've got to maintain your professionalism as, as well because you have to understand that that person's having a really bad day if their house is burning down. So it's sort of, yeah, it's it's a weird one for me. Like, I I really do enjoy it, but you've got to also harness that at the same time. It is quite a uh, quite a juxtaposition of an emotion in that um, a, a lot of the people, uh, well, majority of the, the firefighters that I talk to, um, like they genuinely love their job. They love being a firefighter. They love doing their job. They, they think it's the coolest job in the world. Mm. But as you've already touched on, on the flip side of it, like we don't, we don't do our job unless someone else is having a really, really bad time. Yeah, that's right. And I, I struggle with that. I don't know about you, man, but I, I struggle sometimes to sit back. And this has only happened, I think, since I've become a fair bit, older um not not in terms of fire brigade experience but just older in life experience that um that you realize that every time you know some mostly every time someone calls triple zero they're, they're doing it for a pretty pretty life-threatening reason um and then you know you're the johnny on the spot that has to go and you know fix their their problem and sometimes um sometimes you can't fix it you know you can't save the house so you can't you can't um resuscitate a person and uh yeah, it's a really big juxtaposition with it because you get so excited thinking, oh, sweet, what are we going to go and do today? And then you think, oh, well, you know, this is reality where people die, people lose shit that's, you know, important to them. It's really, I, I still find it hard to grasp, you know, I really do. I, th- I think for me, it's, uh, there's a there's a certain amount of pride for me involved in it in that, you know, we, we um, I am and, and we are like doing doing a job and, and we are helping people but at the same time like like you said it's um you know you, you have to sort of reel yourself back in a fair bit and go look you know mm. there, there, there is a time and place and it, it's it's uh, I, I think that's where a lot of the black humor between uh, emergency service personnel comes from as well they you know b- being able to talk very very freely um with with someone that's uh, either been in the same situation or you know a similar situation um you know uh, debriefing and, and talking about it and, and laughing about it is uh, is is ridiculously important absolutely it is yeah and I, that's probably that's probably something interesting to touch on i guess too is that it's like if you ever you know for people listening like if you ever hear people um 
you know, seemingly being disrespectful or having a laugh at a job. Like it's not, it's probably not for a, a lack of respect for the situation. It's, it's a coping mechanism. Um, you know, so an anecdotal story about that is um, oh, not all that. And it's going to sound frigging horrible, but this is why I'm telling the story is to try and, and give you some insight into how people deal with, with nasty shit. Um, so one night I was just about to start cooking dinner with my wife and we cut the packet of chicken open and the chicken was off. And I thought, ah, oh, that's Maggie. No worries. Go and put it in the bin. Not long after that, uh, we had a fire call. So off we trundled to the fire, uh, sorry, to the, uh, to the station, we get the, the printout and it was a, um, a concern for welfare job. So that's basically where the police saw somebody hasn't heard from someone for a couple of days and, or a certain period of time. And there are concerns for that person's welfare as a job, um, as a job outlined on the, on the little printout that we get. So we go to this unit and it was, it was more than likely looking like there's going to be a deceased gentleman, um, in that, in that building. And, so we go and help the police bust the door down. And as soon as we busted the door down, um, the exact same smell of the off chicken um, that I just smelt with my wife was the smell that came out of this house because the, the poor bastard that lived in there had been dead for so long. Yeah. Um, so there's always this little in-joke with us now at the at the fire station that, you know, um, every time I have chicken Kiev or something like that to do with chicken, that it's going to be a bad fucking job. And, like, I'm not allowed anywhere near chicken Kievs anymore, <laughs> so, which, is, which is probably good for my waistline. But, yeah, so you can – yeah. So you can you can understand, I guess, when you explain it that way, how how people deal with um, with bad stuff happening. Um, but it's, So it's not necessarily like a – a disrespectful thing to that person because like it, it's very somber but if you keep getting exposed to that sort of stuff you have to create your own coping mechanism to to deal with it man and that's a really common one because it's something that everyone can um everyone can relate to you know humor is humor is universal do you feel that uh people in emergency services are better uh better equipped or no okay no maybe not better equipped better better self-dealing with their own personal uh, mental health or do you think they're worse? I think they're worse generally. Um, and I, I say that because regardless of like at the moment anyway, how much work people try to put into, you know, telling people it's okay to not be okay. There's always going to be an element of stoicism from the individual. Um, it's not necessarily an organizational thing, but certainly from individuals in saying, no, nah, I'm sweet. You know, it's it's part of the job, blah blah blah, and it is part of the job. But the the thing that a lot of people probably fail to recognise is that they don't, you know, that sorry, they experience stuff that most people would be lucky to see once in their life. If you have a bad run of it, you can see it twelve times in a year. And by bad stuff, I mean like fatalities. You know, um, people losing like, like everything in in houses, car accidents, all that sort of stuff. Um. So I, I think generally speaking, like fireys and, and coppers and ambos are, are probably worse at it, mate, I think, as a whole. Um, that's changing though, I think, I think with the more of a focus on on that, you know, people people are okay to not be okay. But as a whole, like I still just think it's just a human thing to think, you know, because you are wearing that uniform that you're okay and you're, you're exempt from it. When in reality, like it's the polar opposite, you're not exempt from it at all. Do you feel, and, and you, you, you touched on a really good point, do you, do you feel that, because we do wear the uniform, um, we almost expected uh, or feel that we it's expected um, to be seen as more resilient from the public? It's an interesting question. I think at the time of the job, yeah, absolutely. Because as I sort of touched on before, like you're expected to fix whatever the hell's going wrong in that person's life at that very moment, right there and then. And it doesn't matter whether it's you've been trained in that particular skill or not, you've got to try and fix it. Um, so I think there is a greater expectation at the actual time of the incident. But I think I think a lot of the, this is one of the great things I find about social media is that we're able to, as when I say we are, I mean, as emergency services um, uh, workers, able to tell people, hey, like this is, a cum this is what the cumulative amount of shit happening to people does to us. Yeah. So when, you know, you, you experience it so much that we're, we're not going to be okay. And sometimes that's, that's okay to not be okay. You know what I mean? Yep. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, I, uh, I, uh, in probably about uh, two months ago now, um, we went to a really, really bad job <clears throat> and, and I'll, I'll, I won't go into what the job was. Um, I, I may go into it in a later episode, but it was really, really good to see that, um, 
all those things that you train for and, and all those things that you, um, you, you try to teach to, um, you know, your fellow firefighters about, you know, um, you know, talk to people, um, don't bottle it up, you know, use your support networks and all that sort of stuff. It was really good to see sort of that all in motion. It's, it's, it's one thing to, to talk about it and say that it's there, but it's another thing to sort of, um, to, to see it in motion and, and to, to our organization's credit, um, and, and look, it could be down to individual people um, above me, or it could be down to just the fact that the system just works that damn well. Um, mm. But it, it worked flawlessly and it worked quickly. And at no point did I feel like um, they they didn't care about our mental health. See, that's, yeah, that's really good. Um, like in the past, I, I think I think every, like every, particularly, you know, the, the frontline um frontline ones like the forest coppers and ambos like i think i i don't think anyone would shy away from the fact and say that it hasn't been in the past dealt with it's usually been dealt with like a dose of hard and the fuck up and a, a carton Absolutely. of beer yep. yep um which you know having a beer and a chat would probably help a lot of people but you know having an entire carton of by yourself and not <laughs> dealing with those issues is is not the way to do it man and I, I think a lot more people understand that that's um like you said it's an organizational thing and a, a lot of people are starting to understand that that's not a, not a healthy way of dealing with the, the shit that you experience. No, absolutely not. I recently read a book. Um, I don't know if you've heard of it. The, the book's called The Gap. It's by Benjamin Gilmore. Have you heard of it? Oh, I've heard of it, but I haven't read it. I really, really want to, man. It, extremely good read. I actually bought a copy of the book and I've, I've, I actually purchased the audio book as well. Um, nice. Very, um, it, it, it would be very relevant to you and I. Like the, the humor in it is, is right down our alley. Um, nice. Very, very harrowing um and and very um uh, very, very telling of the times because the, the the book was sort of set uh late 80s early 90s i suppose mm. um yep. so yeah so as as you said like it, it it definitely hasn't always been that way um but yeah i, I think um uh, I, I think mental health in all the emergency services um are very very important or, or they're seen as to be very very important i i always think that there's always room for improvement um, mm. but I, I think it's, I think it's come a long, long way from where it used to be. Oh, it certainly has, man. Yeah. I, I definitely think there's, um, yeah, there's always room for improvement. Like there's, there's no two, no two ways about that. There's always room for improvement with that sort of stuff. But, uh, yeah, certainly better. Like I, as I said, I've been in 10 years and I've, I've noticed, um, an improvement in the last 10 years. Definitely. So in, in your, in your 10 years of service, tell me about your weirdest job. Oh fuck. Okay. Um Wow, my weirdest job. That it depends on it depends on what, what sort of weird you want to talk about. So I, I suppose one good example is um all right, so one afternoon or one night actually, one night um I remember getting a call to a yard fire, a backyard fire. Uh, and then we rock up to the address and it was not a backyard fire, although half the backyard was on fire. It was a house fire <laughs> that was also going. So, I mean, it technically wasn't incorrect, but anyway. So it was like a, um, a Queenslander style house, but it had uh, instead of wood um, wood pylons, it was, it was built up on, on brick and was sort of like a first floor set up with nothing underneath it except at the back that had a granny flat and anyway the um residents from the top house had evacuated but no one had seen the guy that lived in the granny flat out the back so um my job when we rocked up was to get a breathing apparatus on and go and um have a look for this guy in the flat so you know we kicked the door in and this was the first time i'd done all this sort of stuff so i was thinking holy hell this is what it's actually like doing all this <laughs> for real life and blah 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 i think i'd only been in like you know 12 months or something um and anyway, so I'm, I'm cruising around this house and like there is, as you would know from your experience, uh, a lot of house fires you go to, there is shit everywhere. It's never like a display home ever. <laughs> um, so Chicago fire is a complete <laughs> yes. load of crap, yes. um, which, which I'll get to later, I suppose. But anyway. <laughs> um, so anyway, you know, I'm just falling over all this crap like bongs and, and like needles and all this sort of lovely stuff. Anyway, I, I see out of the corner of my mask, so my breathing apparatus mask, uh, what I thought was a leg. Uh, and my mate was further back down, like we always work in pairs, and my mate was back further down the hose doing a search on the other side of the uh, wall where we are just to make sure he hadn't, like, fallen behind the lounge. So I yell over to him, Matty, Matty, I got the bloke, thinking, here we go, I'm about to be a big hero and uh, and get a save. And I went to go and grab 
this leg and it was a blow-up doll. <laughs> Fully inflated blow-up doll, I might add. Excellent. Ah, shit. Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard that story. Did the, did the boys bring it back to the station and put it in your locker or something? Well, no, we had to be a little bit. So it, it got a bit more weird after that too. So we... um. We ventilated the the room out from all the smoke because the fire wasn't actually in this this uh, little granny flat. It was just smoke log from the fire around it. And um, afterwards, when we went in there, there was like um, you know stacks of DVDs and porn mags, and as I said, bongs and all sorts of like flashlights and, and weird, weird like <laughs> terrible shit. Anyway, the guy rocked up later on because someone had obviously rung him and said, "Hey, the house is on oh, fire." No. So yeah, we had to be really um, cautious about that. But yeah, there was uh, there was some serious piss taking after that. I think I think um, so. All our all our radios are recorded. So um, I think someone kept the radio recording of me saying that we've got one victim saying no, dis disregard. So no, yeah, not my finest moment. But like we go to all sorts of weird, weird and wonderful stuff. Like the, the coppers and the, the ambos would probably see it a little bit more than we do, but just some of the, some of the things that you see in the job, man, it's just like, you, you just sit there and go, what the hell have I just done? Like, so weird, man. What about you? What do you reckon you, your most uh, unusual job could be? Um, look, it was, um, uh, it, it was, it was a, con- it was a concern for welfare. Um, and uh, as, as you know, you know you don't just go, you know, kicking in doors or breaking windows and, and trying to find it. You know, you, you walk around the house, you knock on some windows, you knock on some doors and stuff like that. Anyway, so we, the one of the guys, um, he, he spots he spots the gentleman we're meant to be um, checking on, and he's he's standing up in the kitchen, like we can see through one of the windows. He's, he's um, um, yeah, uh, standing up in the kitchen. The fridge is open. He's standing in front of the fridge, just just standing there. Um, anyway, so we start banging on the windows and, and yelling out to him and stuff like that, and no response. Um, anyway, so the um, the ambos um, request us to to pop the door, so we we do so. Um, and so what what ended up turning out? He um, he at some stage he had had a stroke. Um, but it oh, was wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But so he and he was standing at the fridge, and he must have been like trying to walk into the fridge or something. It was, it, it was genuinely something out of a, out of a horror movie. I mean, it was, it, it was a horrible, yeah. it was a horrible situation for the, obviously for the guy. Um, yeah. But yeah, just something, I, I suppose, um, you know, after watching probably way too many zombie movies or something like that, <laughs> it was, it was exactly like that. It was, it was yeah. like the, the TV was on, it was dead quiet. Um, there was just this, this gentleman just standing there, just walking, like constantly just walking into the fridge with the fridge open. It was, it was crazy, man. Oh, that's, that's really weird, man. That would have put the hairs on the back of my neck well and truly up, I reckon. All of us. Yeah. All of us. Yeah. And, oh, and, man. and the, it's a really common question of, you know, have you ever seen anything like this or ha- have you been to a job like this before? And you just, you just go, nah, this is, no, this no. is new. This is definitely new no. to me. Yeah, definitely, man. So, uh, what's, uh, what's one of your funniest jobs you've been to? Uh, that last one would rate pretty highly up there as far as funny gigs would be concerned. Um, I reckon, I reckon one of the most ridiculous ones where you just sit there and shake your head afterwards would have been, um, uh, let me have a think. Oh, yes, that's right. So, um, Pager goes off at like three o'clock in the morning or something like that. And, uh, you know, we roll out to this address and I, I really, I really couldn't see properly the, the, the piece of paper about the, de- on, on the, um, print out that gave us the details, but I thought it said cat on a window. And I was like, <laughs> right. Maybe they mean cat up tree. Maybe the, maybe the bloke in comms has got it wrong. I don't know. No, he, he got, he or she, sorry, got it spot on. Uh, there was, so we got rolled down to our local, um, uh, local government housing estate and uh, no shit. There was a cat there on the windowsill that had somehow got itself up there from the outside um, and the local residents were freaking out about it, saying, uh, let's get the cat down. You know, can we get the cat down? Can we get the cat down? I was like, okay, no worries. And then we sort of stopped for a minute and said, has anyone tried opening the window? <laughs> oh, no, we didn't We didn't think of that. So someone opens the window, the cat freaks out, jumps off the two-story fucking window, and then pisses off into the bush. 
I love cats too. So, <laughs> yeah, I love cats too. I was like, I would have done the same thing if I was a cat too. I would have been getting the fuck right out of there. But, uh, I, I, yeah, so, it, they, yeah, afterward, like, it's not at the time because you just think, I just got up at three o'clock in the morning for this shit, but in hindsight, they're hilarious, man. I think uh, I think most firefighters have been to a funny uh, funny cat job. Um, we went to one, they were stuck up a telegraph pole, and we, we weren't going near it because, obviously, being a telegraph pole, so we called in Origin. They got in with all their safety gear and their, you know, their plastic buckets, like their cherry picker plastic buckets and all mm. that sort of stuff. The guy gets up there, um, reaches out to the cat. The, the cat launches at this guy, lands on his face, <laughs> scratches shit out of him, oh, runs around God. the bucket, then proceeds to run down the arm of the bucket and run off. Oh, we just fuck. like, as you can imagine, like a yeah, bunch of firefighters on the ground just looking up, just pissing ourselves laughing. Yeah, I would have been uh, fairly well wetting my pants with laughter at that point. <laughs> I reckon. Probably, look, probably one of my one of my funniest jobs um, wasn't. Uh, it's it, it's more of a situation than anything. But so um, there was a house fire. Um, there was a bit of a structure. There, there was a structural collapse around um, the, uh, the the front door, the main entry, um, and it was it was double story. Um, where it was less burnt, so we could go in and, and do a, a secondary search and you know, check for hotspots and do all that sort of good stuff. Anyway, mm. so um, one of my firefighters got up there and um, you know put our ladder up against the window and and he was like, "So how do you want me to get in?" It's like, "Well, you know, just you're gonna have to go through the window." It's like, oh, "Okay, fair enough." So he grabs the ceiling hook and proceeds to smash the window and you know does it very carefully and very safely and all that sort of stuff and clears up, cleans up, ma- makes sure there's no big planes of glass or anything like that. Gets close to the window and realizes that it was unlocked and the whole thing just swings open. <laughs> ah, that's awesome. First rule of everything is make sure it's open before you kick that's it down. Right. Both both houses and cars check. Correct, Mondo. Correct. Oh God. Uh, good times, man. Good times. Yeah, but look, uh, I'm sure that um, I'm sure you and I are going to have um, like we, we've only sort of scratched the surface of, of a lot of really uh, really funny or. Um, uh, uh, so, sometimes some not so funny stories. So I'd love to have you um, back on again, man. Oh, mate, it would be my pleasure. And thank you for, as, as I said at the start, thanks for having me as your first guest, mate. I, I'm hope, hopefully I, uh, I managed to carry myself and your podcast relatively well <laughs> instead of coming across like an inarticulate boo. But uh, <laughs> hopefully we've done all right, man. No, you did well, man. Thank you very much. You're all right, welcome, cool. Uh, well, look, um, I'm actually really surprised that your pager hasn't gone off. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's usually how it fucking happens when shit like that. Uh, <laughs> when I start to do stuff like this, it's just yeah. There we go. Bells come off. But uh, yeah, it's one of the, one of those things, man. Like it's um, you know, the the fire brigade's such a, a funny thing. You know, you can go as you as you know, being at a quieter station, um, you can go days and days and days without a job, and then you get like two house fires in one day, like you did the other month. So That's it. yeah, it's a strange world, man. People uh, people never stop doing stupid shit or. Uh, <laughs> or anything like that so as long as they don't they'll keep us in business that's it it's definitely job security all right man well look i'll um i'll I'll let you go and i'll I'll definitely have you have you on another time but thank you very much for your time and uh stay safe out there my pleasure mate catch you later see you dude cheers man the opinions or views expressed in this podcast are personal and belong solely to the host or guest and do not represent those of the people institutions or organizations that the host or guest may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated. Any views or opinions are not intended to malign any religion, ethnic group, club, organisation, company or individual.